0: Hello and welcome to This Just Is. My name is Ian and thank you for being here and thank you for being you. In this week's episode, we're going to get deep and personal, but thematically, it's all about getting help and guidance from the right people. Who can we go to when life is overwhelming, uncertain, or we feel a bit stuck? Who do we ask to help us when we really need it? Some of us have the good fortune of close family or friends. Some of us have great faith and can turn to our religious communities Some of us can go to therapists or psychologists, and some of us have the ability to do all of these things. But for many, it's not always so clear who is there to offer that help, or if those people are willing to listen without judgment and give you their assessment of your situation and offer counsel in an unbiased way. Also, who can you trust to do this for you as well? Many of us have complicated relationships and lives. Many people feel discomfort, even asking for assistance for whatever reason, and some people don't even realize they need any help until things become pretty dire. I'm at a bit of a crossroads in my life. I've accomplished a good amount in my professional career, but it's left me feeling a bit empty. The jobs that I've held that have had some sort of profile, good compensation, and visibility within my industry have left me stressed out at times, overworked, and wanting to and most importantly, needing more. So I'm a little unsure what to do. Perhaps a different path or maybe a different perspective is in order. I'm just not certain. This podcast was sort of the first step I took on this journey of trying to find something for me, trying to hone in on what is going to not only bring me joy, fulfillment, and creativity, but also a way to potentially help others in some fashion, whether it be by entertaining them with interesting discussion educating people on topics they may not have thought about or understood fully, or just simply to make people think about things in a different way. I've never really felt much of that in my previous work. And as I've matured, I realized that that's a pretty big void for me. I think many people might share this sentiment at some point in their life. What's my purpose? Why am I doing what I'm doing? How can I find community or fit in? How can I make a living doing something I love and contribute to society in a positive way? Why am I here? What am I doing with my life, etc.? You understand. Life has a way of showing up and saying, hey, I'm here. Let's try to figure this out. I think a lot of people feel what I'm feeling right now after over a year of being away from what we considered our normal lives and seeing that perhaps our jobs and careers might not be serving our needs as individuals correctly. A few weeks ago, I was expressing this to our show's producer, Trevor Worley, telling him all about my dilemma, and he had an incredible and simple idea. You should talk to a life coach for our next show, and Eureka, this episode was born from this very good idea. So, I reached out to Vince Duque. Vince is what some people would refer to as a life coach, but in reality, he's so much more than that, and you'll see why. I think many people have preconceived notions about life coaches in general, perhaps with good reason in some instances. However, Vince is so obviously different in every way. After about five minutes of speaking with Vince, I firmly understood the importance of having coaches in your life, people to help you find your way, teach you techniques to improve your own personal performance, and create realistic and attainable goals in order to optimize your experience on this rock spinning around the sun. Vince is funny, kind, and intelligent, he's honest, and I think he's everything you'd look for in a quote-unquote life coach type person we get deep and we get personal and that's just fine by me i think this is one of the most interesting and engaging episodes we've had to date so without further ado here is the dynamic and insightful vince duque vince yes sir Thank you so much for coming on. This just is. And the first question I have to ask you, which I think a lot of people would want to know, is what made you get into this very unique profession?
1: I think coaching has always uh, been in my blood um, since a very young age. I, I coached my first team at 13. I coached the a, um, a flag football team of eight-year-olds. I was a coach, a uh, gymnastics coach at 16 while I was training. So I was coaching adults from five-year-olds all the way to adults as a 16-year-old. I went to West Point, the military academy, learned how to be a leader there. And, you know, the, one, the sort of the mantra of West Point is that you had to develop your soldiers. And as a platoon leader, I was responsible for my soldiers. And it kind of carried over when I got into the film business, caring for the crew and, you know, mentoring people. One of the sort of like the uh, kind of the cadet oath when you graduate from West Point is that you swear uh, an oath to serve a lifetime of service to the nation. So anything that I did, I was I sort of like framed it under that oath. So even in the film business, like making stories as an AD, I was sort of like focused on doing that. Um, And then I've been mentoring pretty much my whole life. I was on the board of trustees at the Directors Guild training program. Developing newbies to become ads, which I, who I felt were the leaders of the film set, right? And then I would I coach. I mean, I ta- taught seminars um, at colleges about getting into the film business. I teach a stand-in class at Central Casting. Believe it or not, you know Tony Robbins, uh, the the famous coach. I was basically the Tony Robbins at Central Casting. <laughs> like I would coach extras, background artists, on how to pursue their acting career. And they they ate it up. They loved everything that I would say. because it, And it was, they were just simple truths that they were just weren't hearing it for whatever reason. Because, you know, Hollywood, there's just so much noise. So anyway, the other part of the story is I have a tattoo that says, stay on your path. And I got it in 2015 because I was, uh, I was trying to pursue directing. I got into the Disney Directing Fellowship. But I was hearing all this noise about my creative voice and who I wanted to be, and and I got this tattoo as a sort of like ceremonial um, thing to tell myself, "Don't listen to the noise." And funny enough, right after I got the tattoo, my path unraveled.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you just needed a magical tattoo and (laughs) it all fell into place, right?
1: And I went through all this depression, which I can we can get into later, and. Went to Paris for three months uh, on a sabbatical, embracing the unknown, and um, came back. I I went to go find a career coach that a friend of mine, who was my eighth grade classmate, told me to go to. And she, the career coach, administered the Myers-Briggs test. Do you guys know the Myers-Briggs test?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like a personality test.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a personality test. I was uh, was found to be what they call an INFJ, which basically means I'm intuitive. I feel I, you know, need a lot of guidance in terms of like, I don't look like if I wanted to play the guitar, I don't do well if I'm watching a YouTube video. I need to sit with someone, yeah, to show you how to do it. Yeah. And we were talking about careers and we were getting into what was called organizational development, which a lot of big companies now have, uh, which is basically an offshoot of HR, which is building the company culture, helping people move up in the company. And I had always been doing that in the film business as an So It was
0: like an easy fit for you to, to, because you had already been doing that in another
1: way. And this is like a more official capacity to do it. And then all of a sudden I just realized a year and a half ago, I should do, I should coach for a living. Because I was mentoring a lot of people for free and a lot of them weren't taking the advice and it was like why am I spending 2 hours with you and I'm giving you <laughs> the keys to the kingdom and you're not even taking them. Yeah. Cuz you're not taking it seriously cuz it's free. But when yeah. somebody pays for it,
0: yeah, they have they want to they want a return on their investment. Yeah, there's
1: a value, right? You you, yeah. you you know that it's worth something. So that's that's basically how I got into it. that's you know
0: the, the craziest part to me is I, you know, obviously we, we've known each other a short while, but I had no idea that you went to West Point, which is incredible. And the fact that you were a soldier um, and now you're sort of leading
1: people around in their lives, I think tracks and makes <laughs> a lot of sense, you know. Fun fact, my battalion commander at the time, in became the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff for the Obama <laughs> administration. That's crazy. So I... I've had all You've these, been around those people who are leaders. Yeah, I've had a lot of a lot of leaders like, you know, I I was in the trenches with Johnny Depp and Charlie there on Astronaut's Wife. And I for 12 for two months in the trenches, not like, oh, yeah, I worked on I worked on Astronaut's Wife. I was a publicist. Like I was literally in the trenches. So I've seen, you know, people, a um, a list um, people of, of, of stature, Olympic athletes. I've seen so many of them go through their lives. And I just feel like I kind of know sort of the common things that people yeah. do to get better and to do well.
0: I mean, obviously, I think you just going to West Point qualifies you to be a life coach in some capacity because that is such a strenuous and arduous path. Um, it's no joke academically. It's no joke mentally and physically. There's a lot you have to do to even, you know, to, to graduate. It's very competitive. And then you have to go and serve your country, which is also not the easiest thing to do. So I would say that you're qualified. Not that, (laughs) not that my, not that my, uh, my, uh, uh, sort of evaluation of the situation matters, but what does sort of qualify someone to be a life coach? Because unfortunately, at least in the things that I've read and heard, there's a lot of people that think it's sort of a gimmick or it's like this false idea. Um, and it's obviously not the case, but okay, why do you think some people would look at life coaching that way? Is it because there there are people who like say, oh, I'm a life coach and they haven't had that life experience that you've had? Is that sort of it?
1: That's a part of it. Um, yeah. Look, I think life coaching is the new Pilates instructor. Yeah. Is the new bartender, is the new fitness trainer. You know, you go to, you, you go to the parks these days and you see like, People having group,
0: yeah. Group fitness classes. Yeah.
1: Are you, you ever seen those guys who are like, they're doing the boxing thing with the gloves and it's like, you don't yeah. know shit about boxing. How are you, how are you in training in boxing? Yeah. And it's, you can, it's so easy to do that because uh, to be a life coach because the internet is basically the new snake oil salesman. You can just make a new cool website, have the right graphics, say the right shit. Have a bunch of followers. You can pay for getting followers. You can basically manipulate your image to no end and become the coolest life coach ever. Mm-hmm. You get the right like there's a template, Ian, where you basically yeah. ch- you check the block on how you do a website, right? You know, there's a there's a there's a brand there's a there's a company called Story Brand, and they basically are Hollywood guys who got in advertising and said, you know what, you need a story you need an authentic story. So this is what we're going to do to create this story whether you're Wells Fargo or whether you're, you know, a life coach and you build this website and then you do all the right things. Like you get you get a publicist who gets you a an article in the Washington Post and then you put all the logos at the bottom of your website, right? Yeah,
0: it makes you look more legitimate than you probably already are. Yeah.
1: And so they everybody spends all that time. If you have a lot of money, you can be a life coach because you uh, you do all the branding that that makes sense, and you and we're gullible as people.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think also you know thematically, if someone is looking for help, then they're inevitably going to like be open to hearing sort of anything from anyone, especially someone that might look official on a website mm-hmm. or have quotes from some you know famous publication or. Article, or they appeared on Dr. Oz or something, and say, Oh, this person's legitimate, but they probably haven't done the real work themselves. I mean, I guess that that kind of makes it tricky in the sense of that it makes it tough for you because obviously you're someone just talking to you for the last five minutes that has had real life experience (laughs) leading yourself, being around leaders, working in different types of industries. So you have that experience and you've been around all different types of people and seen the sort of challenges that are thrown towards those people. So you have reference and yourself in your own life, I'm sure have, have had very challenging things uh, thrown your way. So you can, you can use that as perspective to help your clients. But I sort of feel like, like you sent me something, we, you know, we've been communicating by email. You sent me something like for $7, someone can get qualified as a life coach on some Facebook ad. It's like, you're like, this is what this is so crazy. And I'm like, Yeah, I mean, we got to talk about this. I mean, it's yeah. it seems like everything's just being Oh, yeah, I'm a life coach. It's one of my side hustles. And I also, you know, sell this and that and I, you know, try to do drop shipping on Amazon. And it's like part of just like a bunch of hustles, right, which I think is probably part of a larger issue with our society It's just it's tough to fucking put your life together and pay for things. But I also think that People look at it as just a thing they can do, as opposed to like, like you're, it's your path. It's what you want to do. It's your passion. Yeah. And, um, and so I think it, it must frustrate you to no end when you see those types of things.
1: Well, it only frustrates me in the sense that I just don't like seeing people duped.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, behind every one of those, there's a person who's, who's feeding 15 clients probably a, you know, a load of bullshit that's not helping
1: them. And, and here's the deal people are hurting, man. Yeah, there are a lot of people that are hurting. Like here's an here's a here's a metaphor that I use. I so I play competitive tennis now. Like like my goal is to get ranked as a 50 year old senior. (laughs) I have a coach, a tennis coach, and I go to his academy, and um, they're all kids (laughs) except for me. Right, I'm the only adult there. The point I'm making is that. I found this coach who, you know, was number one in Brazil and he loves coaching. He cares. He cares about me. He didn't have to care about me. Right. I'm not a promising junior. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to take him to the promised land, but he cares about me just as much as, as he cares about the kids because he sees that I'm working my ass off and that I have dreams too. Right. And you can't, just because you're young doesn't mean uh, that you you're the only ones privy to the dreams. Right. Sometimes we have our our aha moment way later in life, Mm -hmm. and then now what? Right. Anyway, the point that I was making about the tennis is that I cannot stand watching tennis coaches teach people with the wrong shit. Mm -hmm. It's like, why are you doing that? It's so criminal to me.
0: Yeah, it kind of makes it. It changes your perspective of anyone who's a teacher or coach is sort of performing one of the very important, I think maybe the most important thing that like we te- teaching each other is, is how we keep our society going, right? Teaching people how to do things correctly or teaching or imparting knowledge onto people is how we keep this whole thing going. And so when you're irresponsible with that, to some extent, you're doing a disservice to humanity. I know that that seems like a really large concept for like, just being like, yeah, your forehand looks great. Don't worry about it. But really you're doing a disservice to that individual who then goes out there thinking they have a great forehand and, and hitting the ball a certain way and it's completely wrong because the tennis coach doesn't take it seriously or doesn't think that person has promise or doesn't care about whatever they're doing. and I guess the same would the same would be with a teacher or with a life coach like yeah, I'm a life coach and then you're just giving people bad advice and they're going out in the world and enacting that and it's not helping them and it's harming their life. So. And,
1: and a lot of it Ian isn't just isn't bad advice it's generic advice
0: yeah it's not specific right it's
1: like i'm not a I'm not a guru in the sense that I've been ordained these special special tools to teach coaching I'm just gathering lessons and from my own experiences and other coaches and other teachers I go to tennis you know tennis to me is sort of like uh an approach to self mastery for me yeah like the small things like watch the ball Don't worry about outcome process over those sort of things. And I take that and then I put it into my coaching. I listen to other coaches. I take that. I'm not, I'm no genius. I'm just putting it all together and connecting the dots for the individual and go, Oh, you're, you're this, this, and this based on your, whatever superpowers and your kryptonite and that sort of thing. And I go, and we fish around. And when I go, okay, try this. We basically use the scientific method, which is let's just try something. Here's a hypothesis that I have. I don't know everything about you, but mm-hmm. let's try this thing for a week, see what happens, and then let's assess. Don't look at it as a victory or a failure. Let's just use it. look at it as an experiment where we're gathering information.
0: Yeah. And you build off, um, right. Yeah. I mean, the, just to, anecdotally, the one thing I remember about tennis when I take tennis lessons when I was younger and I was always into like contact sports, uh-huh. you know, which was just using brute force and not as much finesse. And, and then tennis came along and tennis is one of those sports where you can use that brute strength, but you have to be so precise with it. And also you cannot be lazy. You can't. You're going to, you know, you have to get to the ball. You have to get your racket to the right position or you or you won't hit the ball correctly. So, let, and let, it's like a great metaphor for life.
1: And here's another metaphor relative to that. Looking at the tennis again, people, you know, a lot of coaches are so obsessed over technique of the forehand and the backhand, and they completely miss the fact that what about the footwork? If you don't have yeah. good footwork and you don't get to the ball properly, who gives a shit if your forehand has a perfect technique? And the fact yeah. they miss a lot of them miss the, the sort of the, the essentials. And that's what I feel about life coaching. It's like, yes, you can talk about whatever the forehand, the equivalent of the forehand is in life, but what about the footwork part? Whatever that is in life, right? Yeah.
0: You can't just look at one thing. You've got to look at everything. Yeah.
1: Holistically.
0: Yeah. Is there a particular type of person that you usually, that usually comes your way for life coaching, or do you find that it's a giant cross section of people And like, what are some of the most common things that people need help with in your experience?
1: You know, it really depends. In the beginning, when I started out, I was getting older people who are stuck Hmm. in their lives. You know, the sort of the typical midlife crisis kind of thing. I want to do something else. And, you know, my job's not speaking to me. What do I do? And so I thought that was going to be my niche because being someone who... Is older myself and rejuvenating and reliving or pursuing my own dreams. And you know, my dreams of playing tennis is a kind of a kid dream, right? But it's Mm -hmm. like, I'm doing it and I don't care what anybody says and and, go for it, right? Right. I'm just going to do it. Why not? Right. Um, because I have now, I now have the tools or I didn't have the tools. So I get a lot of that, but then through word of mouth. And through just circumstances in which I have conversations with people, I just go like my nephew. My nephew's twenty two. He's uh he wants to be a youth pastor. He came from a sort of like a uh, an environment where he was homeschooled. It was a very sort of restricted Christian environment. And now he's out on his own, trying to figure shit out, and he doesn't have any tools. He was 20 years old when he first went into the grocery store by himself. He was like, wow, what Man, do I do here? Incredible. That's incredible. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so, like, I had to teach him how to, like, I, like, what, so one of the things I taught him was, let's do a 30 day journal challenge. Cause he wasn't, he didn't know how to problem solve. He didn't know, he wanted to be someone who could express his opinion, but he was so concerned and scared. And I said, well, let's have a situation in which 10 minutes a day, you just dump your thoughts onto a journal and you just allow yourself to sort your thoughts out. And through that, he kind of developed his own problem solving. And then I I reached out to his, one of his best friends who he's 21 too, and he wants to be a writer. So we're going through like, how do you find your creative voice? So it really depends.
0: And do you, do you find that like the situation with your nephew, do you find that there are people who just come to you not knowing how to do certain things and are sort of confused or do you, or is it a mix of those types of people and people that are just lost? It seems like it's a mix, but there are those people that I've run into where, you know, you, you just talk to them for a little bit and it's not that they're stupid. I, I don't want to disparage them. It's just like, they're like, they're like, they don't know that like, They don't know where Central America is like on a map, you know, like they're just and it's not because they're idiots. It's just because they were never taught those things, but they could be incredibly knowledgeable in some other areas. But when you enter into the world and you're trying to be a professional and you don't know sort of those common things and you're thrown into the pool, the deep end of the pool. Yeah, I think it can be sort of disorienting for a lot of people who are sheltered or aren't giving that sort of common sense and they go out into the world and they get grifted or they get beat up. And so it seems like you, maybe you'd get some of those people who are like, I'm just a little lost and I need some bearings. Can you help me find out more about who I am and 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 how to like how to kind of open some doors for myself a little bit? Part of it,
1: a lot of it actually is people don't know that they're lost.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: And they don't know that there there could be a better way. They're just kind of we go, you know, we just go through life. Right. We, we, we know what we know. We don't know what we don't know. We have our bullshit that we have to deal with, like, mentally. And, you know, we we, we start to, when we're younger, we start to develop coping mechanisms that get worse and worse through the years. You, you, you know, you fill in the gap with whatever, love, sex, drugs, profession, just to kind of, like, make it all feel okay. And then you don't really get into it. People don't know. We don't know, you know. And so it's really me. Listening to people, I, I just love talking to people and talking to strangers. I really kind of get deep with them really very quickly. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I just recommend something like, hey, what do you think about doing this? And then I don't really pitch my pitch my program at all. I really just talk about staying in your path as something essential, yeah, as an essential thing that heals your soul. And we go from there. And then if it works out that they want to do something more formal – then it does, but I don't, I don't force it on anybody.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a great transition segue to, to the next, the next portion of of this episode, which is part of what you do with your life coaching is when you're looking to begin to engage with people, you send them sort of a worksheet for them to kind of look over and ask some sort of deep soul searching type questions so that they can kind of get a handle on maybe some of the some of the direction they need. And these are questions that I, personally answered myself. And we're going to go through this sheet. I'm kind of in the market for some mentoring and life coaching myself. I'm in a very interesting position in my life and my career. I'm kind of in that midlife crisis crowd that you referred to earlier of, uh, of people that are kind of questioning what they're getting from their work and trying to find that that center point of where they can feel value, where they can make good money doing something they love, where they feel like it's their their calling. You know, I I I've lived my life, I think, doing things for other people and now I'm trying to do things for myself. So within the worksheet you ask these very sort of deep questions that make you really think about things, which I think was the goal, which you did a good job of. And so we're gonna go through this worksheet and We're going to reveal some things about myself, but I also think that it would be interesting for people to just hear what this type of discourse looks like, what this type of conversation looks like. And so they can get an idea of if this could be useful for them, if they're experiencing similar feelings to what I am, or if they have other issues in their life and go, you know what, maybe I do need to work with a life coach. So we're going to go through it right now. The first question that you asked me, which honestly took me a while to think about. At first, I couldn't think of anything. And then I was like, okay, I I found it. I had to sit with it as per your recommendation. And the question you ask is describe two moments in which you felt the most confidence in who you were. And I'd say one of the things was when I made the decision to start this podcast, because it was something that I previously would have never done for whatever reason. And I I think I would have been too worried about what people would think, uh, being vulnerable, if it was any good. And I just had this realization of like, you can do this and you're ready to do this. And so just do it. And it has been a revelatory experience. And it has shown me that this is something that I think I'm good at. And it seems like it's a vital part of my path, of staying on my path. And I'm able to use all the knowledge that I have and all of my perspective I've gained throughout my life experience and to share that with others as they do the same with me. And I think it's a really beautiful thing and it makes me feel good and it makes me feel, you know, powerful and confident in who I am. And I, I sometimes before I record, I get like shaky and it's not nervousness. I kind of liken it to like a dog at the dog park type of thing. So I know that it's something I really like doing and it's something that I enjoy. And so it gives me a lot of confidence Love it uh, because of that.
1: I love it. What was the second thing?
0: The second thing is a weird kind of esoteric thing, but we can talk about it after. So bear with me because it's a it's a little bit of a journey. But I during an incredibly deep like meditative state, uh, I reached what I think is what people refer to as a samadhi state, which people can look up if they want to look it up. But it was one of the most profound and significant experiences that i can recall related to just my existence as a human and it put me in this place where there was no me in the traditional self there was a complete dissolution of the self or or an ego death what some people would call it i i I, um i was just consciousness um and i dissolved into this form of existence and was everything and nothing all at the same time and it felt kind of like I was a drop of water returning back into the ocean or a grain of sand back on the beach where I belonged. And I was in this supreme form of rest, but at the same time, fully aware that I was in it. And it was like I had complete ownership over everything. And the first time ever, my mind sort of shut off at the same time, though. (laughs) And I just existed. I just was. And the power I felt was sort of in the security and the knowledge that this place existed within me. And I didn't have to pay money to fly somewhere to go to a retreat or meet with some, you know, mystic guru or, or sadhu or someone like that. And I did it with just my own inner knowledge and ability or taking ayahuasca or taking ayahuasca. Um, and, uh, that might've been involved. (laughs) And, uh, as I like, you know, I created this thing for myself and it's just a, a place that exists within me. And I kind of transcended everything. And I felt the most confidence in who I was by eliminating who I thought I was and discovering who and what I really am, which is just the endpoint of a tiny tendril of consciousness. Yeah. You know, I was elemental. I was an atom. I was part of a larger structure, fully supported and vital to the existence and consciousness that was and is God. And wow. I've never been able to get back there. That's
1: intense. Um, when was this? But when was, was this? Probably about a year ago. You were by yourself? Uh, yes. And how long did this sort of meditative state last? I, I don't know. Maybe 25 minutes. Something like that. And when you were feeling it, after about, like, did you feel it dissipate? Like, when did you know it was it? like, why was it over?
0: I made the active decision to, to end it. Oh. Yeah.
1: I was like, okay,
0: I understand what this is. I'm I'm done and and yeah. uh, the other part of it that was really interesting is I have all these like I have very a lot of st- I have really stiff ankles um from injuries that I've had. Yeah. And um I was sitting on my ankles, which is painful for me, but it was a practice that I was starting to do to like try to integrate the pain a little bit. Like and like, sitting on your just- ankles
1: like your feet the tops of your feet were at the
0: Yeah, tops of my feet were back and I was sitting back on gotcha. them. Gotcha. And and I remember as soon as I released off of, you know, out of that position, I felt like you just kind of like, oh man, but I felt really good. Like it had stretched out everything in that area. And even though it was hurting during that time and I was feeling the pain, you know, the message that I was getting was pain and pleasure and joy and fear. It's all the same. It's all part of one thing. Um, so it's a very kind of heady metaphysical thing. So it's a little, like I said, it's a little bit of a trip, but that I felt a lot of confidence in who I was because I, I came to the like the center
1: of who I was. Okay, so me, can I ask you a question? Sure. When you got off your ankles, mm-hmm. and you finished this state slash trip, and you went back yeah. to your car or whatever. <laughs> yeah. What happened in the car? Uh, you just went back to your regular life like that you just felt like, Oh, that was awesome. I want to write about it. I want to put this in a bottle. But right now I've got a turn on the ignition and go get some toilet paper at Costco.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was profound and it was unique and I was excited by it, but it wasn't, it was one of those things like, I, it'd be nice to get back there to that state again, but I haven't been able to to sit and and do it again. And I, and I wonder if it's a fear associated with how profound it was or something, but, but yes, to answer your question, it was like, I was excited about it for weeks after and I was, I would, you know, anyone who wanted to talk about it, I would tell them about it, but it was, it was the most profound spiritual experience
1: I've ever had. So do you want me to sort of talk about sort of my process of like, as I'm like thinking, of about course. It? Yeah. I realized that one's a weird one, but it's not weird at all. It is exactly yeah. who you are and what you wanted to be. And I love it. And I see a, uh, basically a connection between the two moments and, what What's so great about what you did in describing these, that you were so um, conscientious, uh, detailed-oriented, and you were so vulnerably expressive. I mean, that's that's a huge step. A lot of clients that I have, it's hard for them to get there. And you got there. And like I said, I already see very, very quickly – what you're not seeing. <laughs> the two things that really popped out well, a few things popped out. One, one, one of them being how, you know, for the podcast, you felt good, you felt powerful, you felt confident, you just did it, you have your use of knowledge and life experience. And then basically, the second experience, the meditative state, is basically an overall summary uh you know uh metaphysically and sort of existentially of what the first thing was and so when you tie those things together i mean for you to me and we'll get into more of it because i you know there's more to the worksheet but Mm -hmm. i already know like for you to stay on your path you already know your path it's illuminated you just have to get on it i mean you say two things that really jumped out at me which were I made the active decision to end it. Mm -hmm. And then you said, I want to do it again, but I wasn't able to sit. And I'm like, well, when the hell are you going to have time to sit then? (laughs) You got to make time to sit. Yeah. You got to do it. And you you know, I would. So what goes, what, so what happens in my head is I already start seeing the elements that get you out of that. So yeah. I talk about your superpowers. I talk about your kryptonite. I talk about your fears. I like, why are you doing it again? I don't get it. Like, you had these incredible experiences. If I, I could, I would pay a gazillion dollars for that experience, right? Like, you did it for mm. free. So <laughs> why don't you just do it again and do it more often? Yeah. I'm, that I'm not braiding you at all, or like saying yeah. like Ian, you're an idiot. I'm just saying like, what? Uh, now I want to know what's preventing you from doing that tomorrow tonight after we finish this podcast
0: right yeah i it's it's resistance right yeah. it's it's just this idea of what if i go and do it and i can't get there or i'm uncomfortable yeah, right. or it's it's an it's this it's a it's part of a larger thing of that we'll get into when we go through the worksheet of more it's just like uncertainty thing sure. of, of 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 not feeling comfortable diving into things that have a high level of uncertainty to them or a certain amount of uncertainty to them. Okay. You know, I want a short bet. I want to hedge my bets and life isn't like that. It is to an extent. And there are people who live their lives that way and they have quote unquote success. But for me, I kind of have to jump, headlong into stuff and just see what happens and i've never really done that
1: before and here's the thing and it's we're not talking about like we're not you know they they always say there those are those 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 easy cliches of you know you got to jump and you don't need a safety net blah blah blah. you need a safety net you can't you know if you're if you're jumping just on a whim that's suicide that's Dumb. Yeah, you know, you need yeah. things like the tools. You need us. You need this—the right support system. You need all the things to make sure that you have. You know, you increase your odds of success. Look, if you want to be the the 2020 um, world champion Los Angeles Dodgers, you don't just go. Okay, well, you're just gonna pick pick a bunch of guys, and then we'll see what happens. You make it happen because you make you develop a level of how you're going to you you. be successful, yeah. right? In every yeah. aspect. Yeah. So don't don't kill yourself over is what I'm saying. Like, don't yeah. beat yourself up over the idea that like you aren't able to do this. Like, well, like my job would be well, let's let's get you closer. Yeah. Well, I, I want
0: yes, Well, I'm open to it, a hundred percent. I want that. All right. So let's talk about your superpowers real quick. Yeah, so this is it. You asked me what are my th- what are three of your superpowers? Right. Again, difficult. Um were they really? because yeah, they were. They were difficult for me because you know, I think there's a lot of things that I do really well, but it was hard to distill that into three things. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like finding three things that also have a sort of a subcategories underneath them right. that are traits that I have that I think that are are defined within yeah. it. So, um the first one is that I feel as though I have a very powerful intuition. So I see things uniquely and I notice patterns and I understand things in like a deep and and visceral way. And I can see around corners. Well, I often predict things before they happen. And I'm able to predict these outcomes based on listening to that sort of innate knowledge and then looking for quality information and indicators that sort of confirm those notions. Um, And I've realized that I subconsciously follow this intuition and it guides me Along my journey. And if I get a particular type of notion in my head to do something or to plan for something, I just do it almost without thought, and it tends to help me down the line. So there's these things, these like things are like, hey, just go do that thing. And I just do it. And I don't, it's one of these things that I could easily, like for some reason, you know, there was a point during the pandemic, I haven't talked about this on the podcast, but I might as well. We're in the midst of it where. I was questioning even continuing to do this. I was like, is it even worth me doing this? Why am I doing this? What's the point of it? Then there was this little voice in the back of my head that was like, no, keep doing this. And I did. And that's when I, you know, I, I, I knew, I also knew that I needed help, right? I also knew that I couldn't keep doing it on my own. I needed to form that team. So I reached out to Trevor and now Trevor's helping me produce it and doing, helping me immensely introducing me to wonderful people and helping me, you know, think of ideas and different ways to do the podcast. There he is. There's Trevor. Yeah. Um, And so I know that that voice is there and I know that it's, it's, it's almost protecting me in a way, but uh, sometimes I have a little trouble, uh, discerning what's that voice and what's ego, what's id, what's, you know, what's, what's just, uh, frivolous. But for the most part, I'm very good at listening to that.
1: You say you have trouble discerning. Sometimes. Sometimes. Can you tell me a couple of things that you regret that you felt like were pure ego, but you thought it was your, int- like prop, like your proper intuition?
0: No, you know, off the top of my head, you're putting us. it's a little difficult for me to think of, okay. of things in that regard. So I'm sorry, I don't have, I'm not no, prepared with an answer for that, but I, it's more just like, what's the noise in your head versus what's the, what's that deep, true sense of self saying to you. Right. And I think I'm, I'm pretty good for the most part it's discerning. Oh, that's that thing. That's that voice that goes, you gotta do this thing, versus, hey, go do
1: that thing. So when you yeah. say you have trouble discerning, what does that specifically mean then?
0: Sometimes it I the noise can either cancel out that inner voice or get mixed in with it occasionally. And
1: what's the noise? I can't do it or is it a negative voice? Is it like you don't yeah, blow it's a it?
0: mixture of yeah of that or is it truly my inner voice or is it a selfish desire mm-hmm. or a desire motivated by my ego versus, you know, a real kind of finding my path and helping as best I can and being the person I'm meant to be?
1: Or is it your Aunt Julia your bar mitzvah, like whispering to you, don't do that, Ian?
0: Yeah, yeah. Or it's, yeah, my dad's voice in my head yelling at me, whatever it is. But But I think that for the most part, I have a good... Ability to to listen to it, and it has helped me. It it served me well, and I that was I mean there has to be a reason why I wrote that down because I wrote it down right. Sure. Um, The next one is leadership, and in the rare opportunities that I've held any form of a leadership role, I've noticed and have been told by other people that I am a strong leader, and people like working with me because um, I'm fair and I'm equitable in my approach when trying to accomplish something. And if I'm in charge, I'm not in love with the fact that I'm in charge, which I think a lot of leaders are, especially in the entertainment industry. It's it's less about leading and more about just being in charge. And I'm more in love with the fact that I get to help a group of people accomplish a task and we all get the opportunity to to contribute as one. And so I'm very good in the macro sense of delegating and I don't micromanage people. And I, I feel like I see the big picture And I work well in a team environment uh, naturally, but even more so when I'm being looked to for guidance, support, and decisiveness. And so I ask for input and counsel from other people because I am genuinely interested in what other people's opinions and approaches to help help are so that it can inform my decision-making process. And I tend to make decisions quickly. I provide feedback and constructive criticism with, with ease. And I promote decentralized command. So I like to empower the other people working on my team to act and make decisions on their own. I trust others to do the work they need to do. And I'm also comfortable with taking the hit if something doesn't work out. And I love uh, what Jocko Willink, a maxim of leadership is ownership. And I think you probably agree with that, Vince, of, you know, I'm okay owning my mistake. And if if the team's uh, or, or the team's mistakes, right? Yeah. There are opportunities to learn and improve things So if it doesn't work out, um, you know, it's on me. And so I kind of lead the way I'd want to be led. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if a lot of people lead the way that they want to be led. I think a lot of people lead in fear or lead in insecurity. And I feel like I don't do that.
1: That's amazing. That is definitely a superpower.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, And uh, the next one I would say is self-awareness you know, I'm keenly aware that there's a separation between who Ian is and who I am deeply at my core spiritually or like my eternal self, right? So the constructed version of myself in this reality that has layers of conditioning and hangups is not the deepest form of me. What is that? Um, It's a, you know, persona that people, you know, it's, it's.
1: What is it? What is it specifically? Like, what is the Ian persona that you think that's out there?
0: I don't know. It's a hard question to answer. Well,
1: you said I'm keenly aware that yeah, there. Yeah,
0: maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not. Here's my self awareness. Maybe I'm not so self aware. Then, well, I, I feel like just the person who you are every day, going through your life, you know, paying your bills, doing the householding duties, uh, doing your work, isn't necessarily representative of who you are at the core of uh, of. Of who you are as an individual so i'm aware that there's a separation between those two things so can you
1: tell me a couple things that are like just a couple attributes that are basically the who ian is and then a couple attributes and i know the other attributes of your core spirituality or the eternal self because you have mentioned that in the in the two moments so i i got that but who's the other guy that's not that guy
0: Uh, I think it's a person that, you know, well, I guess we'll talk about this more in the kryptonites part of it too. Maybe that's a good transition, but I think that maybe this is blending into that part of, there's a person that maybe has taken the safe route, maybe hasn't always been the kindest, maybe hasn't been the best version of themselves because of conditioning or because of their own mistakes and, I have to own all of that. I have to be like, yeah, I was that person or I did that thing, but I know that that's not the truest sense of who I am. That's not the truest form of me. So like, whether it was, you know, maybe not being the best employee at a job I wasn't happy at, or maybe not being the best partner to my wife or best friend or best son or whatever it is, the whatever the, the things that happen to you that that make you either act out or act selfishly or behave in a way that you regret, that's not me. I have to, again, I have to own it because I'm this, I'm doing these things, but there's a deeper There's an underlying person under that, that is able to sense when that's occurring. Like there's this saying that like, you know, when you're doing something wrong and you know, when you're doing something right, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I know when I'm doing something wrong. And I feel like a lot of that is, you know, conditioning Things I've been taught, things I've seen, things I've done, habits. Yep. And so what I'm doing now is trying to utilize some of that self awareness to unwind and unravel some of that. Yep. To get to that truer, truer sense of self and be be more towards the center of who I am. Yep. Gotcha. So I hope does that answer the question a little bit?
1: It's uh it's good information for me to okay, really get a sense of you. Good. One thing I do want to say about that though. Yeah. Go for You're it. You're saying you said that this isn't you that like deeply at your core, there's that you. Yeah. But, and I'm not going to get metaphysical about this or like cosmic. We can't. Okay. Here's the deal. It is you. Yeah. And you got to embrace that part of you. And yes, you're doing the self awareness sort of uh, approach to kind of figure out why that is part of you. But it is part of you. It's like that's why yeah. I want to know about your kryptonite because we have to know. We want to know what triggers you. We want to know because you know this isn't. We're not building the $6 million man here. I mean, I'll, just, I'll take a $1 million. Man, <laughs> if you, could be, yeah. you know, it's 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 really like being able to know who you are. Like one of the things I kind of talk about with people, depending on who it is, and I'm not a specialist at it, but there's, you know, there's inner child syndrome, right? There, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm reading all about that yeah, now. There's yeah. a lot of that. So like, you gotta, we gotta be, we, we have to connect to that. And that is you. And that that why we do things is because of these these things. Like for example, one of the reasons I wanted to go into Hollywood was I wanted to belong. I wanted a sense of community. And you know, I was a I mean, I was a I was a baseball player when I was a kid before I got into gymnastics. But I've always been a team kind of guy, right? I love. Mm -hmm. I have a loyalty to the Dodgers. I have other sports teams. I went to West Point because I went on a senior trip and everybody wore the same uniform and they were all eating breakfast together. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. (laughs) And in Hollywood, you know, you're, you're with your crew and you're there 12 hours a day or whatever doing stuff and you're connecting with each other and there's nothing like it. Right. And then but I was realizing that it was feeding a part of me that needed to be fed and it was doing it in a very unhealthy way. Because I was accepting all the toxic bullshit of being an AD in Hollywood because it was in exchange to have this kind of pseudo temporary belonging when you, after the rap party, they don't even talk, nobody talks to you anymore. Yeah. And I had a hard time resolving that, right? And I didn't know why. So I kept going back to the well about that. But it wasn't until I realized I need community, mm-hmm. I need belonging. So, yeah. yeah. Always this yeah. crypto the part of you, but it's not. It you know, it's not this other Ian. It's the
0: it's the shadow self, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's the the dark parts of you that you, you know. And maybe I was incorrect to say that I had self. I was so, so keenly self aware, but it's this part of you that you want to push away, or, or most people, I feel, I want to push it away because it's, it's not the good stuff, right? Yeah, but but it is with, good with,
1: stuff. With, that's the whole yeah, thing to reframe when you.
0: Yeah. When you dive into that, that's when you learn the most. And I think to your point, and maybe one of the things that I'm experiencing of like, why did I even get into working in entertainment or working as a television producer in the first place? I think initially I got in because I, and then we'll transition into, into the next part of the worksheet. But I think I got into it because I wanted to work in a profession where it was at least in the realm of something that I enjoyed doing. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't going to go be, you know, an international businessman because I didn't really have any interest in that. I like TV and I like movies and I love entertainment. I love music. So I was like, well, I might as well just go towards working in that area because at least I'll be doing, I'll be working in an area that I like. But as you work in this industry and I've been working in it for the past, you know, 15 plus years in some capacity, you realize that, you know, once you see how the sausage is made, it's, it doesn't. And then, you know, and there and there was times when I was guilty and in buying into like, yeah, I'm an executive, I make good money, I have a charge card. I you know I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and you you buy into that thing, and then you realize like this isn't this doesn't feel good. I mean, this isn't this is serving just the pure id pure ego part of who I am. It's not really serving like the core of me, and that's why I ended up, yeah, unhappy and kind of, and you know, searching for things at at this kind of unique point in my life. And so I kind of have had a similar experience, which is why I think I'm having this, I don't want to call it a crisis, but this, this moment of change in my life, this, I'd say a metamorphosis or transformation of like, what, why do I do, why am I doing that? And is there something else I can do that maybe serves me better and not some image of myself that I think I should be, or other people have an image of me. So we're going to get into the kryptonite portion. So it's like, what in your personality or in your relationships or in your education or any aspect have hindered you? from maximizing your potential or expressing your authentic self? Any limiting beliefs? Weirdly, this was the easiest one for me to answer. Um, So (laughs) you tell me Vince, Um, fear, fear, worry and self doubt. And I have been conditioned to take the safe route and have done so in many ways in my life. And it's given me security, but it has limited my ability to do some of the things that i truly want to do some of the things not all the things but some of the things like what you know work more in a creative capacity as opposed to what as opposed to working more on the business end of things you know i was a creative development executive and now i'm sort of a creative tv you know more of a nuts and bolts tv producer but an executive but you know there's creativity in that job but it's not In the realm that I feel is like feeds that part of me, right? So, you know, my belief in the past has been that if I take a safe job with a steady paycheck, that my life will be easier. And to some extent, that's true. The stability uh, is is nice, but in others, other ways, it makes my my life feel you know more difficult. And as I just mentioned, some of the jobs I've 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 worked at or have taken, I've enjoyed at first, but invariably, I've grown to like dislike them. Sure. And it's mainly mainly because I realized that I'm just I'm like a little bit of a cog in a wheel in someone else's machine. And that fundamentally sort of bothers me. Down to the bottom part of my soul like I don't want to be some cog in, in 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 some, you know, fabricated machine that's not working correctly.
1: Dude, I yeah you know when you wrote this part, I felt totally connected to it to It was like you were <laughs> writing my biography. Maybe we're the same person. I'm the dark, I'm the dark Ian.
0: <laughs> yeah, fine. I'll take it. You seem pretty good. Um, so I, I get this feeling or this sense that like I'm not being listened to or I'm not valued and I grow to like resent what I'm doing. And I think that after gaining more perspective and experience in my life, I take things way too seriously when it comes to work. Yeah. And it's like, so what if I don't answer an email or if I don't troubleshoot this problem immediately? And there's something inside me that makes me anch- anxious and fearful about the work that I do. And I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of finding out slowly why, but in a lot of reasons, I'm not sure. Like a lot of, a lot of, and I'm kind of, you know, looking for answers. And, and ideally, I'd like to do something for me and something that I enjoy. And it doesn't seem like work um, that I get compensated for. And, and I believe that like one day I will, I think I'm headed in that direction, okay. but there is that voice. We were talking about the voices in your head. There's this voice inside my head that chirps at me that this is all going to fall apart. You're going to be destitute. You know, it's Everything will, it's not going to work out. And there's the, there's no evidence that this is going to happen. And I think my track record proves otherwise, you know, but you know, it's, it's like this old latent part of me and I'm always like, well, you know, past results don't necessarily predict future results, but it's like, it's like someone's passed their worries on to me and I've taken them on. And I'm also impatient. I want everything now. And I know that life doesn't work that way. And that's been a source of suffering for me. So, and and a lot of time, even when I get the thing I want, you know, I want to sell a show or I want to get this thing developed or I want to do this thing. There's no relief. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. And uh, I, I rarely spend time reflecting on the accomplishment. And then I just simply move on to the next goal or worry about the next thing or move on to some other challenge. And then the same process repeats itself. Yeah.
1: That's that's me. <laughs> well, I mean, that's you. That's me. That, that's yeah, everybody. That's a lot of people. That is the a majority of the people out there in yeah. whatever capacity. So my situation is not unique in that sense. Well, it's unique to you because you yeah. you acutely feel that you need to do something else. I mean, people are numb themselves with whatever just to kind of get through the day, and then they don't realize for a long time that you know, hey, I, I shouldn't, I don't want to be in this situation anymore. And you just have to kind mm-hmm. of let them do their thing. But I mean, it's great that you're doing this right now, like you're yeah. in the in the heart of it. I mean, you, there's so much to for you to be doing. So this is great. Okay, cool. I have some stuff to say, but I want to keep going because I I have, I think, something that will sort of encompass all the things that you're doing. Okay, cool. If you
0: could do anything in your life entirely detached from financial, personal, and familial relationship obligations, what might that be? Close your eyes and begin to visualize what you want to accomplish specifically. You know, When I thought about this question, this answer came to me fairly easily but in a more general sense you know it wasn't like i'm going to go i want to be a tibetan monk or it wasn't that but it was more just a general sense of myself of of who i want to become and i just want to be a person that helps and i want to use my you know god given abilities to help and assist other people in gaining a healthy perspective about the temporal nature of our existence, you know, I'd like to be a lighthouse or a person that's there to help guide others along the way, you know, I want to open the minds of people to think about life and existence in a different, uh, with a different process. And I want to be, I want to, I want people to genuinely search for their purpose as I'm doing the same. And I want to embody the true essence of my being and encourage and assist others to do the same. And I, like I said, I just want to help. And if that's Talking to people and having deep conversations like this, where you're vulnerable and telling, you know, and people can relate to these sorts of problems that I'm talking about or these strengths or weaknesses, then great. Or if it's having a podcast that a lot of people listen to and find helpful, great. But I just want to be there to help, or even just on a on a micro sense, just being a, a solid husband and friend and son and and uh, father. I feel like we get encouraged by seeing other people doing well. And so if I can do well, then other people will feel encouraged to do well. And so that's, that's my goal. Okay. As far as uh, who is in my support group, who are, who are in your social circles that might be obstacles. This was a really easy thing for me to answer. And, you know, my, my support group is a conglomeration of my wife and, and several close friends. And I've sort of aligned myself with people that I can vent to. I can let my feelings be known. Um, they can do the same and it doesn't affect our friendship at all. If anything, it brings us closer. And so we can share our fears, our desires, our hopes without judgment, our family problems. We can, we can talk about things with each other. Uh, and I'm really happy and proud of myself, um, uh, for finding this tribe of really supportive people. So, um, you know, for the most part, I don't, I don't, I used to, when I was younger, I'd have people in my life and i are like, why is, you know person here. They're not very supportive. Um, but for the most part, I really don't bring you know people like that into my life that present themselves as obstacles or reserve any sort of judgment for my hopes or my desires or my goals or who I am. So great. And so if anything, I think like my immediate family is, you know, has, a, I think, a different approach to the way that they view life and view things. I love them very much, but they're just different. different. Are you close to them? Um, I would say that I'm not as close as I used to be to them. And I think part of that is because being, you know, having my own family life gets busy. But part of that is because I do think that they they have a different approach to, you know, the way that they think of things. And and it's not that I, I'm not reserving judgment for them, but I just feel like when I'm around that that energy that I grew up with or that feels familiar to me, it puts me back in sort of a groove of thinking. That can be a little rough on me, so it kind of makes it that adolescent, that inner, inner child, can get brought out, and it's not a part of me that I want to have activated, especially in those environments. So I'm not as close to them as probably I used to be.
1: Does their opinion matter to you? Not anymore. No. Does it matter? Does it matter at all? No. Okay. Good. I don't want to say that their
0: opinion doesn't matter because they're you know, like they're knowledgeable, they've lived life, they have thoughts, um, and they have life experience. And so I don't want to be dismissive of their opinion, but I don't think if they necessarily disagreed of some large life decision that I'd make, that it would wreck me. It probably would have, you know, twenty years ago. But now it's I'm my own, you know, seem like my own person and have my own
1: life. Does it cause you pain or Is it hurtful when they don't celebrate your victories that you consider victories?
0: No, no, it isn't, and and for the most part, they are supportive of that. Like when I tell them, "Oh, I did this," oh, that's great, you know. They're they're not like it's just the way that they approach their day to day. That's just different than me. Okay, Uh, the way they approach their problems or the way they approach issues that arise just through life or the way that they communicate their emotions. It's just different than the way I do it. And I think when I, when I interact with them and fall back into those habits, it can be a little bit, that becomes painful because it's like, Oh, I'm back in this place where I felt anxious or felt like I wasn't good enough or wasn't doing good enough. And so I, I mean, so
1: when does that happen?
0: That happens when, you know, I'm around my immediate family for a long period of time, mostly my mother and my father just because of the conditioning that I had when I was younger. And so I think we all, you know.
1: Wait, you said feeling anxious for not what? I'm sorry.
0: Like feeling anxious or not sort of good enough or not doing the right things yeah. or not, you know, or um, having to cater to other people's moods or yep. um, that sort of thing. You know, people pleasing, I guess. Sure. Also, Yeah. And I, I kind of don't want to do that, you know, anymore. So I've kind of moved past that part of my life. And so when I meet up with them again and, you know, I've, tr- you know, sort of transformed a little bit or I'm trying to change that part of me yeah. and they aren't, it causes a little bit of friction. And so I try to, I detach a little bit from it, but lovingly, it's not like we have beef or anything. It's just, I've just sort of disconnected that way.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. And then your support group, if you were doing those things, uh, you know, when you answered, answered, um, When you answered if you could do anything in your life entirely detached from relationship obligations, and you said that you want to be a person that helps, let's say we had let's say you had an idea for something specific that reflects this particular. I would I would simply want to be a person that helps. Use my God-given abilities to aid and assist other people, which could potentially be risky, right? And in, in what's in that sense of doing all those things, we will your support group support you? Absolutely. Okay. Cool.
0: Yeah, they would absolutely support me. Awesome. And the next part was really was the most fun out of all. Yeah. That I thought, which was, what are some people alive or dead who you admire? Your, you know, Martin Luther King, Frida Kahlo, etc. And what are the top three traits? that they, the, that they possess that you admire and, and mine for traits that you want to possess or aspire to possess. And I have sort of a, a, a varied list. Um, Teddy Roosevelt is one of them. Somebody gave um, me Teddy
1: Roosevelt the other day.
0: He's just, I mean, I've read a lot of, I've read his, I've read all these books about him. Yeah. And I mean, he was so brave and he had the ability many to overcome. How books have you
1: read on Teddy Roosevelt? probably four or five Four or five ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. How many Teddy Roosevelt books have you read? <laughs> Please email I, I, me. I like, Grant. I like,
0: I like Teddy. I think he's so cool. I mean, you know, he had some really tough things happen to him. A lot of people don't realize that. Um, I think he, he had his mother and wife die on the same day. Oh God. Yeah. His mother, his wife died. I, I believe that's right. I, I should know that. It's been a while since I read my Teddy Roosevelt books, but he wrote in uh, in his journal. He had a journal that he kept. He put a black X in his journal, and he wrote, "The light has gone out of my life." Oh. and that, and then he he still did incredible things right. after that. I mean, that would break a human being, and he just. He just blindly kept going. I mean, not blindly, but just went, just kept going, kept going, kept going. And so he had this this trait. Of he's brave and his ability to overcome adversity. He had really bad asthma as a kid. Yeah. that he literally just outworked his asthma. That's all he did. He's just like, well, I have asthma. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna deal with it oh, and work it out. Neither. And he worked it out. And he accomplished world defining and paradigm shifting achievements. Yeah. You know, our national park system, for one, I mean, any national park you go to is just a marvel of nature and and God and everything. And they're all there and preserved because Teddy Roosevelt really pushed that. Uh, he had this this insatiable hunger for adventure and curiosity. And I think I share that with him. I'm curious about everything. I want to know about things. I want to understand things. and And so that's why I've read so many books about him. <laughs> I want to understand him so I can understand my own curiosity. You know, that's, that's, that's
1: a superpower curiosity. Yep.
0: Yeah. That might be one of mine. Yeah, it should be. Yeah. The next person is, is Rich Roll yeah. who has a really successful podcast and, and wrote a great book. And he just like did the thing. Like he, he got sober, he ran ultra marathons. He started an incredible podcast and really like a lifestyle brand. And, th- and it's all distinctively him. And I think that he brings a lot of joy and purpose into what he does. And I know that he's he talks about things that he struggles with. He struggles with his his ego and his vanity a little bit. And he's very open about that, mm-hmm. about his struggles. And I, I love that that vul- vulnerable part of him is always there. And I think part of that is in his recovery too. And knowing that like, this is all in God's hands and yeah. you, you just, you, you you have to be aware that you're not perfect and that it's, it's all in divine order. And I think he brings that to what he does and he's really articulate and he's really patient uh, with his thoughts and his point of view. When he, when he makes a point or wants to ask a question, um, even if it seems like it's off the cuff, it seems like he's had that in his head for years. And really, I think it's just him being really attuned to the conversation he's having with the other individual that he's interviewing. And he just created a life and a reality that, that he wanted and and he made huge changes in his life to do the things that he wanted to do because it was too important to him to not. And so that's really admirable. And and so I I really like his podcast. I like him and uh, I admire him a lot. And the other one is um, my grandfather, uh, my mom's father, who was from Argentina came over in a, in steerage with his brother when he was like seven years old from Argentina to live with a relative in the U S in like 1917 or something. You're, I mean, talking about, just,
1: you're talking about Poppy Sam.
0: Poppy Sam. It's my guy. Yeah. And um, he lived a very modest life. He wasn't a successful businessman. He didn't have a lot of money. He served in the military during world war two. He never, he never complained about anything. He, he was really comfortable with who he was yeah. and he was really cheery, but he was also really stoic mm. He was a simple man and he taught really simple lessons and he led like don't grab the knife by the, by the blade, (laughs) like that type of lesson, you know, like this stuff where like,
1: was he the inventor? Was he the inventor of look both ways before you cross the street?
0: (laughs) It was like that type of stuff, but he was, he wasn't, he wasn't, he was like, you know, had like a fourth grade education or something, but he, he had a very simple approach to his life and a simple approach to his, his knowledge base. And he he gave that to me as a, as a child and those lessons stuck with me. Very simple, very approachable and, uh, you know, chop wood, carry water type guy, you know, he just chop wood, carry water every day. There was no, like, you know, he would have a heart attack and he'd be like, yeah, I'm feeling fine. Don't, you know, it's just one of those guys. And, um, he he would tell me these crazy stories about, you know, his life, uh, when he was in Argentina, he told me that when he was young, he got kicked in the, uh, Stomach by a mule and pissed blood for like a year. Oh God, <laughs> I was like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, you know, it just happened." <laughs> and you know, so you hear, you he would tell stories like that just matter of factly. It's just like a different. Like I don't think the man ever ate an avocado. Like I, I just don't like he's just meat and potatoes.
1: Man I knew there was and, something about him.
0: Yeah, he was. Uh, he used to growl when he ate because he grew up during the depression. So. It was like I guess eating was like a real pleasure for him. So he would like growl when he ate. It was really weird, but kind of funny. Uh anyway, I could go on about him. He was just like a really unique, interesting guy. And so I, I admired the simplicity that he approached his life. He lived a long life. He lived, he was almost nine years old when he died. Wow. Amazing. It's great. And that, that's the and that's the worksheet, Vince. So yeah. what do you think? Can you help me? What's going on?
1: Well then here's the thing. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, first of all, I want to ask this question specifically. Do you have a terry roosevelt cosplay outfit
0: no 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 no! i'm not i'm not i'm not uh i'm not larping as teddy roosevelt okay, cool. so don't worry about that
1: you know it's uh and let me kind of introduce this interesting metaphor you know when when uh, steve jobs developed apple and created the iphone and itunes and all that it all existed It all existed in in the sort of this stratosphere in the universe, right? And Mm -hmm. it existed since the dawn of time. Somebody just had to connect the dots and put it all together and then make it a reality. But it was already a reality. Already, right? When you think about Mm -hmm. it.
0: Yeah, he's just grabbing different pieces to put together a machine.
1: He just did that. And so it's the same thing with your path. It's just it's there. It just needs to be illuminated. Mm -hmm. We just need to connect the dots because you have all the elements. I mean, it's crazy. It's like, and the thing is that you have a support system. 99% of my clients don't have a good support system. And that's where I go first, which is like, get rid of the negative bullshit out of your life. Let's start there. And you have a great support system. So that is so helpful. You have your, you know, you are clearly smart and articulate and, Intuitive, as you've said, you're passionate. You are conscientious. You have all the things that you need to be. So I'm just curious, um, what is going on with the fear, worry, and self doubt part? Like, what happened to you that all this happened? Because you, it seems like everything is happening for you on a silver platter. So what is the thing? Why is that a kryptonite for you? What happened? Did you? Was there a Charlie Brown moment? I. Uh...
0: I don't know. I mean i I wonder if it, it is part of my childhood conditioning, fear, you what know, is it or fear, though?
1: like what are you cons- like? And I'm not saying I'm just interested in that. Like, what are you concerned about? That well,
0: I think failure to an extent because you know, in my, you know, for me, if I was like, you know what, I don't want to be a television producer anymore. I want to pursue being a podcaster and 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 build this out, which I'm, which I'm going to do regardless of if I decide to pursue being a, a television producer or an executive regardless. But if I were to say, you know what, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm just going to be a podcaster. Mm. You know, there's a reality to what that means. You know, that means that you know, the income is gone. That means that, you know, we have to change our lifestyle. My family, you know, there's a certain way we live and and, and comfort that we have that we would have to sacrifice for my not desire. Not and I don't think I'm, pre- I don't think I'm prepared to do that. Right. So the, the fear aspect of it comes in when I'm, when I'm thinking about a decision at that scale, okay. but the, you know, and that, that leads to the anxiety of it. But, but, you know, I think one of the things that that we talked, we had sort of a a little brief call before, and you talked about changing your perspective. And that's like a vital thing, right? So, you know, if I want to go work at a job that might not be like my life's calling, that's okay. Because if you approach it that way, it doesn't mean that you're going to go and do that work poorly. It just takes a lot of the pressure off because it doesn't feel as though, even though you are spending time doing that. Yeah it's not that that's what defines you and for a long time i kind of looked at it like i got to be doing this thing because if i'm not doing this thing then i won't be who i am and i think that it it, it you know when, when i combine those things and look at the fear of of you know going after the the solitary or the sole thing that i want or a group of things that i want versus a safer or more judicious path of like you may have to work for a little bit longer before things start happening in the realm of, of what you're really meant to do. I feel a little bit more comforted of like, yeah, it's okay. You know, once you realize that you can shift your perspective on it a little bit, it's not, it's not surrendering. It's just understanding that a lot of it is in my own head. Like you said, I have a lot of the things that people need to be successful. So, and I have that support system and I, and I have some of the, you know, some of the tools and many of the tools to be successful, but it's in my own head. And so I have to get out of my own way and let me do the work of, for me.
1: I mean, I, I think it's really a matter of a, a few things, just simple things. One, reframing, as you've said. Yeah. Uh, number two, really, if we were actually doing, doing the work, you know, it'd be a six-week session. That's what I mm-hmm. do. You know, we're essentially right now having the 90-minute prep and planning session. Well. Okay. You know, we would do uh, a weekly session and in the weekly session during the week i would i would touch base with you I would, I would probably call you if i had some kind of insight to talk to you about i would you know send you quotes whatever but we would come up with a plan i mean i think part of it is just coming up with a plan mm-hmm. figuring you out and but it's it starts with uh, understanding what you who your authentic self is so what we would basically do is I'd give you another homework assignment in which you would come up with 40, 30 to 40 words that describe you at your best or describe you at you, describe you aspirationally. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd use some of the stuff from the superpowers, obviously, some of the stuff that you, from mine, some of the stuff from the people that you've admired. And then I would distill it down to about five words at some point. Um, We do some exercises to kind of get a feel for what that looks like with those five words. You'd create a sentence with those five words that would essentially become your personal philosophy. Like a mantra in a sense. In a sense, yeah. And then we would go, we'd we'd, uh, put that out on a test run and just see how that feels for you. And then at the end of the day, when you really have a sense of that personal philosophy, everything in your life has to be tapped into what that personal philosophy is or else it has to go. Or mm-hmm. it has to be a means to an end, like you said. If you have to do a job that might not intrinsically be connected to your personal philosophy, it might be connected to a to a to an, a method that you. For example, you might need to take a gig because you uh, an, another sort of Hollywood gig for a, temporarily just to pay the bills and to get your podcast running. Right? The, that's yeah. that's legitimately within the realm of of possibilities. Yeah. Right. So we would also come up with a plan of what you really want to do. So we'd start with your authentic self. We'd start with the, or defining your authentic self through your personal philosophy. And we'd work toward what you really want to do. So me asking you that question about if you could do anything in your life, I would simply want to be a person that helps. I would we would do sessions where I would mine for that. Like, what does that mean specifically? And mm-hmm. it could be not just starting all over. It could be, for example, just using your current talents and leveraging them. So here's an example. Something you said to me: taking the safe route, making mistakes, things I truly want to do, tap into my creative capacity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So I can see this, and I felt the same way as an ad. I mean, I you know I didn't come from a creative world i came you know i i was a gymnast in high school and i went i got straight a's and and i did all the sort of like things to be an american i mean i'm you know my i'm i'm my parents are filipino and i grew up in that environment but i was trying to be an all-american so i was checking all these boxes just thinking Mm -hmm. just by sheer notion of meritocracy that I would turn in, you know, the check to Mr. Say, hey, America.
0: I mean, yeah, I, you went to West point, you did it all, right?
1: I know? said, okay, I'm, I'm here. What do I do now? And I, it didn't get it. And so yeah. part of it was I learned how to be creative. I knew I, I realized I had a, a voice and I, I, you know, and being in, in Hollywood, as you know, really de- demystified sort of like the, the kind of like the power and the magic of it. all. I was ADing for directors who I mean, I'll just be frank. They're just because some of them were idiots. And it was like, how are yeah. you directing? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I'm yeah, like, I know. are you fucking be, yeah. kidding me? And it's like they're <laughs> skating through life. And it's like, you're, this is like, you have everybody snowed and mm-hmm. you don't know what you're doing. I'm directing. And I don't mean to, you know, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but that's just how it felt a lot of the time. And I'm sure it felt like that with you. And you've said that here. And yeah. And so what we have in common is, we both want to say something very unique and profound and is, is in our soul. And we've never been able to do it because of this fear, worry, and self-doubt. I used to, like, we, I'd, be, I'd be jealous. I was so jealous of, you know, rappers because they were just, like, the good, like, Snoop Dogg. He's just himself. He doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> He's flying yeah. badass that whatever anybody thinks. He's just going to do what he does, and that's it, right? Like, how can yeah. not admire that?
0: Yeah, I always am drawn to people that are authentically them, whether that's overbearing or not. I like it. It's just fun for me. It's fun to witness that. And it's kind of inspiring. And um, there are a lot of people that I've interacted with who are like Hollywood agents. Right. And everyone's like, oh, I can't stand that person. And I'm like, I love that person. Because they're completely honest, so it's like, look, I'm probably going to screw you on this one. It's like, okay, yeah, fine. That's fine. At least you told me, right? It's but they know they just that's who they are. They're just this this shark swimming forward, and they they're okay with it. Well, and so you're right. And, and 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 there's a beauty in that, and and so I, I am jealous of that to an extent. I think that's why I'm drawn to those types of people because there's something in that that I yearn for.
1: I for sure uh, I agree with you. You know, I I always say in Hollywood, you know, if you want to do well in Hollywood, you have to have circus blood. And um, <laughs> it's
0: like, true. I don't know if I have circus blood, to be honest. But you
1: me. do love it. You 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 love it. You you enjoy it. You just talked about it. You love being in yeah. it. um and so you just have to recognize that you know you might be uh you know the bearded lady. I mean that's just kind of like oh, yeah. what it is. I,
0: I mean, yeah, I'm I'm uh I'm building the the look of a bearded lady for sure.
1: So what I wanted to kind of bring up to the about that, Ian, is that it's totally empathize with you. I know where you're at because you are someone who wants to be creative and and uh, unique to yourself and express that to the world. And look, it connects to, if you, you know, I, I simply want to be a person that helps. So, and, and, you know, we'd get into this, but I already see that you can use your, and I don't know a lot about you professionally, but like you can use your development skills and your creative development skills to write your own stories, to, for, to be the person that helps. Like you can make films that help people. So you don't mm-hmm. have to sort of like, you know, take your costume off and just be completely somebody else. You can literally leverage all the things that you know. You just have to reframe those things. Mm-hmm. And you're doing it with the podcast. You're doing it right yeah. now. So it's like, so essentially part of it is, the question is, And this is, you know, the hypothesis, can I do this for a living? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just have a brainstorm about it. I'm sure you have. And do the numbers just to see the numbers, just to see if it could work. And really open yourself up to do a brain dump about it without judging yourself, without being egotistical, and just see the potential possibilities to that. Mm -hmm. And then exchange those ideas with your support network and say, how can I make this work so that you're not the one coming up with the ideas, right? All all the ideas. Ask people and then you'll come up with a plan at some point and that plan might change, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're going to have to call an audible at some point because you don't have all the information all the time, right? So you're at the line of scrimmage and you see that the defense isn't lined up the way you want it to. You're going to be like, oh, shit, I need to call an audible. That's life. Mm-hmm. So this is what will help you deal with your kryptonite of fear worthy and self-doubt is that you're going to have to constantly do a check-in so that you can alleviate or at least tap into that fear and self-doubt because that's an alarm for you and you need to use that. You now That's why I was saying about that it's not this other, Ian. Hmm. It is you because you that has served you for you in great places i mean probably in development like just your like intuition about this is going to work this is going to work or your intuition about connecting with the audience and like no this we need this beat particular beat to connect the two dots or whatever all that stuff is but you know all that and you can do it you can be a director you you're a creative guy you're just the way you're telling stories here you're just another storyteller right hmm, it's out yeah. there for you you just have to have the people, and that's why you need a coach because you need a coach to tell you every week, "You got this, man. Here's the plan." Yeah. And it's you know, a coach is accountability partner. You go over to the plan and you see if it works or not. And then if not, you make adjustments. That's it.
0: Hmm. Well, Vince, you are a dynamo. <laughs> that was incredible. I appreciate the pep talk. It was. It definitely it definitely opened my brain up and I, I, I agree with so everything you're saying.
1: Ian, it's Um, it's fucking right around the corner for you. I don't even (laughs) even know that. It's like right around the corner.
0: Well, I, I was just, I had this conversation with my wife earlier today. Get her on. uh, I
1: want to talk to her.
0: No, she, (laughs) she, she's, (laughs) yeah, she's doing her own thing. But, um, So I said to her, I just feel like, and it was, and it was that intuition voice, Vince. It was that intuition voice. It's like, I just feel like I'm like prepping for something. Like I'm getting my mind and my body and my soul, like ready for something. And I don't know what that thing is, but I have this feeling that I'm like getting myself to a certain optimized point so that I'm ready for something bigger. and. And you know the, the the resistance, you know, old part of me is like, what are you talking about? But that 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 deep part of me is like, no, that's what you're doing right now. Well, here, and
1: so can I sorry, I I wanna interject yeah. really quick. Part of it too is what I've seen like when I'm reading, you know, reading the worksheet and, and listening to what you're saying is I think sometimes you get a little existential about stuff and have at, things have to have this sort of like meaning as opposed to just doing the task. Like just do the podcast. Mm-hmm. Let the podcast be yeah. what it is like. For example, you said this thing where you said, "I I I, I simply want to be a person that helps. If I can do well, other people can do well. Well, let's not worry about that. Mm-hmm. Just do the thing. Yeah. Don't yeah yeah don't complicate it. Just don't make it like bigger than it is. Do the thing. Yeah. It's gonna take care of itself because you're already intuitive you're already sort of conscientious you're not sort of you're already conscientious you're a leader you know like you're you're gonna do the right thing mm-hmm. so don't worry about all the other shit like you know the, that that's a that's that's a kind of like somebody that you know that's that's worry, worrying about outcome over process that's where the fear the worry and the self-doubt come in because you're worried about outcome which you should
0: but 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 a healthy amount not an unhealthy amount
1: or you need to plan for it Right, or, yeah. but yeah. like plan for the positive stuff, and like plan for the Super Bowl. Don't plan for losing in the first, and you know,
0: yeah. Don't don't build the team to get to the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. Build the team to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, we're just going to keep using sports analogies. <laughs> well, Vince, this was amazing. We this was a wonderful <laughs> episode, and I appreciate all of your help. <laughs> and I have some serious planning and thinking to do. Yeah, and man. we will certainly be in touch after this. Uh, to chat more, I think. Sure.
1: sure.
0: But thanks for your time. And thank you for sharing kind of how you do what you do. And I hope that this was illuminating for people. I think it, I think it probably was. I, I think it, it was, definitely yeah. was. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. All right. Talk to you later. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Vince Duque. As you have heard, Vince is made for this line of work. I think he's able to distill down issues in a person's life with laser focus and make that individual think about their own path, come up with a plan and execute that plan. If you're interested in learning more about Vince and the incredible work he does, please visit his website at stayonyourpath.com. And you can also find him on Instagram at stayonyourpath underscore IG. I've begun to realize that tapping people for help is essential for all of us and we need to normalize it more. I feel that in our society, there is a sentiment that asking for help is somehow a sign of weakness, but I disagree completely. Anyone who wants to accomplish something larger than themselves needs people to help them accomplish that. And perhaps a very specified personal performance coach like Vince is just the right type of person to help you out. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Please be well. This just is.